Mindfulness Mode 457. He showed me how to go privately and buy things from motivated sellers, people who had you know, inherited a house and just didn't want it. And it was in really awful condition and they didn't want to fix it up. So they're willing to sell it a little bit of a discount. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness right here on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Great to have you here. Thanks so much for joining the show today. I have something free for you. It's 10 simple and effective ways to increase mindfulness in the workplace now. So maybe you're an employee, maybe you're an employer, Maybe you work in a factory, maybe you work in, a, in an office, maybe you have employees working for you. Well, this is called 10 Simple and Effective Ways to Increase Mindfulness in the Workplace Now. This is a helpful resource. Download it for free at mindfulnessmode.com forward slash workplace P. And the P stands for Productivity. Today, I have to tell you, I got so excited as I interviewed this this very fascinating man because he's talking about house flipping. And that's something that I'm particularly interested in. And I remember one time I decided I was interested in possibly buying a home and I wanted to buy a house and and fix it up. And so I found a very, very low priced house that had been taken back by the mortgage company. And when I went into this house and the real estate agent was with me to show me the house, he said, Bruce, you know what? You really don't want to buy this house. Just then a mouse ran across the floor of the kitchen. And I kind of thought maybe I do want to buy this house because probably nobody else does. And I looked at it and the house had great bones. The house had a good foundation. And yes, it needed things. It needed a new furnace. It needed a new roof. It needed siding. There were things it needed. But I thought, no, these are things I can do to uh, fix up this house and sell it. And it was a, a very positive, exciting, actually, exciting project. And it wasn't the only time I did this. Well, that's why I got excited with today's guest. And not only was I excited about the house flipping he does, but for the last three years, he's been focusing on inner mindset and how to be a nicer person. And it's all about mindfulness. Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode with Mike Green. Hey, Mindful Tribe, we're going to be talking about a subject that is near and dear to my heart, something that I really enjoy, and that's flipping houses. So we've got the expert on the line, Mike Green. He's absolutely cool. He's absolutely amazing. He has a very cool podcast as well called The Flip Factor. Hey, Mike, are you in mindfulness mode? I am, yes. You sound so in mindfulness mode. <laughs> so so uh, tell us this, Mike, what does mindfulness mean to you? I mean, mindfulness means to me is really making that shift from being very self-centered to really being thoughtful of others and, and how our actions affect others. For me, it's been my big change in my life that's really allowed me to go from chasing entrepreneurship to, to really having true happiness is what I thought it would bring me. So it's been uh, being able to just be very mindful of other people is uh, huge for me. 
And you've had quite a few changes in your life. You've had a lot of transitions and tough times. I know that. Before we get into it, I want to uh, just share a little bit more about you with our audience. Mike Green is, like I said, the host of the Flip Factor podcast, and he's flipped, get this, over 1,100 houses in the last 10 years. He's gathered monumental experience in this topic of of, uh, flipping houses and making this all work. He's been through plenty of challenges, like I already said, including imprisonment as a result of, well, we'll talk about that in the show. He'll talk a little bit about about some of his negative patterns and self-defeating, limiting beliefs that sort of cause problems for him. But Mike sees the parallel between transforming a condemned, rundown building into a beautiful home and helping convert people from unimaginably low self-esteem to becoming confident, high achievers. So basically, that's one of the things he does is he helps people with confidence. So it's so cool to have you on the show, Mike. It really is. So yeah, mindfulness. How big a part of house flipping does mindfulness play? Well, if you had asked me like seven years ago, I would have thought none. And that's why I always work so hard to be successful. And then uh, when I really made my big shift into truly having what I would call this next level of success that a lot of us don't find, it was when I started working on emotional intelligence and mindfulness and being thoughtful of others and not realizing that my agenda is not everything, that it has to be aligned with other people's agenda too, in order to really have truly have success. And from that, I've been able to let loose of what we call perfectionism, you know, thinking we can be perfect and, you know, wanting to control everything. And, um, they call me laid back Mike now and they jokingly call my house flipping business, which used to be super tightly ran to hippie house flipping now. And it's never been better. Honestly, we're making more money than ever. I work less hours. I travel. I do a lot of cool stuff, but it really did start. I think it was 100% mindfulness that was able to allow me to make that change. So do you meditate? I've tried it. I'm very, very ADD. So meditation for me is really, uh, I'll do it about 10 minutes and I I have a hard time sticking to it because my brain goes everywhere. But when I meditate, it really helps because at least it helps me just get some of my craziness reeled in. So it's, I try to do it as much as possible, but with uh, being an ADD high performer, it is tough. So I mentioned in the intro a little bit about your challenges with mindset. Tell us about that. What kind of challenges did you go through? Yeah, so I grew up in the projects, you know, we're poor. And I imagine this is, um, you know, I hate to stereotype or put everybody into a group, but as, as in a poor community, we definitely seen there's more negativity than positivity and not a lot of great role models. So growing up, the only people I seen making money, which I'd always aspired to be an entrepreneur, were drug dealers and criminals. There wasn't a lot of people who really were like CEOs or anything. You know, we just, you would aspire to maybe just get a job would be amazing. You know, most people were, a lot of my friends today are dead, you know, and I'm not that old and they've, you know, just died like crazy. It's unreal. We didn't get out of the lifestyle and are doing drugs and doing all kind of tough stuff. And that negativity led me to being in prison when I was 17 years old, uh, just breaking the law, being very angry kid, dealing with a lot of angst because my father was never around growing up on welfare, getting bullied and beat up as a kid, you know, mostly my own fault, by the way, because I did have a big mouth. I like, I always like to talk, get myself into stuff that I 
didn't realize I probably shouldn't have been saying. So I learned a little bit about keeping my big mouth shut a little bit because sometimes I wasn't totally just being bullied as much as sometimes I would start it and then other people would finish it. So, uh, you know, then you get in a lot of fights, you know, you get a lot of rough kids when, in those kind of schools. And so it was tough. And, uh, and eventually where I made my big changes when I was in prison, I had a lot of time to think and get clear. When you talk about mindfulness, it was probably the first start of my mindfulness and getting that journey of, you know, really self-reflecting and learning a lot about yourself. Um, I don't know if there's a better place to do it because you don't have much else to do. So you really have to reflect on your actions, your behaviors that have led you there and, you know, the negativity. And, you know, I am a very curious person. I love to study and learn. So I got in prison and there was this big, I went from being an awful student in school to being a very curious uh, just love reading because there I started reading about things I loved and liked. And one of those things happened to be emotional intelligence and psychology. And I started getting very crazy about learning about myself and others' behaviors and um, really set me up for making a major change from negative to positive. And when I got out, I just made a decision and completely get rid of my old friends, change my environment and become a different person and make that shift. And you know, finally made my mother proud to be my mother, who had always been an amazing mom and, you know, really taught me a lot of great life lessons. But she always fought against my father, who was a negative influence. And, you know, it comes in drugs and all kind of stuff. And my mom was just a single mom doing her best to raise me. She's just a, a beautiful person. Still today, one of my, my role model is someone you want to be kind. She's amazingly kind to people. And every day I aspire to be more like her. And how long were you in prison? Four years. Yeah, I got out when I was 21. So it was uh, quite a long haul for me. Yeah. And tell us an example of one of those times when you were bullied. What what pops into your head? A, a situation where you were just like, it was just uh, so memorable. Yeah, honestly, I, I remember being chased home from uh, down to school and right, it was a downhill like you'd run downhill. And I remember running so fast that my feet were coming out from under me and there's like 10 people behind me. And I, and I would get beat up because I couldn't run. And and it was, you know, I, at some level, I obviously know it's a horrible thing to have happen to you. But, you know, everyone handles it a little bit differently. For me, it created some toughness that I've used to get through life, but it's also helped me back from connecting really deeply in relationships. You know, and that toughness really served me well when I was in business and many other ways, but it's also hurt me a little bit in being deeper with my companions, my family members and everything. So there's a journey and I'm working to find the balance between the two. So tell us about the first house you bought after you get out of prison. So it didn't happen for seven years until after I got out of prison. I worked a jobby job, you know, busted my butt, did hardwood flooring uh, with my stepfather who was gracious enough to have me and teach me and mentor me. So that ended up being my business for a while. And uh, I was able to do that and make a living. And I got this opportunity about seven years, probably about 30 years old, roughly, and to flip my first house because someone else was doing it. And they invited me to this uh, coaching thing and I ended up paying a guy 15 grand that I didn't have. I put it on credit cards and he taught me all the ropes. He was a local investor. And uh, within a couple months, I had my first flip and it went really well. And from there, that was my dream come true. I'd always dreamed about that entrepreneurship. I just only learned how to do it illegally. And this was my first opportunity. I was like, holy crap, this is what I've always wanted, but it's totally legal. And it actually was doing a lot of good because I started flipping in a neighborhood I grew up in, which was pretty rough. And I was actually fixing up properties that were pretty bad shape and it was bringing up the value of the neighborhood. It was really helping things because there were so many houses around there just were kind of left and dilapidated and no one wanted to touch. And what city is that? Brooklyn, Baltimore. So Baltimore, Maryland. It's Brooklyn. So everyone's like, it's not New York, Brooklyn, but Brooklyn, Baltimore. It's South Baltimore, right by the Inner Harbor. 
Okay. So tell us about that first house. What was it really like? Was it a one floor bungalow? What was it? So my first house was a townhouse on Brooklyn Avenue in an area that I, you know, two blocks from where I grew up. And it was uh, essentially like, um, I guess you got like a, a drug house essentially, where it was just all kind of needles in it. And we ended up buying it from the bank for 60 K. Me and a friend decided that we played poker together and we decided to go in on it and he put the money up and I kind of did all the work. And uh, me and him worked on that house every day for four months. So we didn't understand the business side of it. We were doing all the work ourselves. We were hiring people I grew up with that you know, were kind of characters essentially for 50 or 70 bucks a day to do random things. About four months later, we finally got it done. We ended up making about 32,000 bucks on it, splitting it. And man, I never looked back from there because once I knew it could happen, I dreamed about it since I was a teenager before I ever even went to prison, watching like late night infomercials and, you know, Carlton Sheets, these guys, you know, the commercials are like, yeah. you get rich, just buy my book for 29 bucks. And I did buy it for 29 bucks. It's actually, when I was 15, I bought a book for $29 COD. Like I had to pay that. 15 bucks and I grew up in the projects. I mean, 30 bucks, that's a lot of money. I mean, that, that to pay yeah. back then. And it didn't teach me anything, by the way, but I still always had the inspired, like this, I had this like thing happening in me. I always wanted to do this. And so when I finally got the opportunity, I really didn't look back. And uh, so I had worked on it for years and first one went well, it was a little bit of a struggle from there. And then I found a partner about a year later and me and him ended up doing about 700 flips together over like the next seven or eight years. And we really, he was more of a business person and I had a lot of the, you know, the architecting of like how to do the construction and find the deals and the math and all that. So I'd become an expert at that, made myself invaluable to him and he had a lot of money. And we put my skills and his money and his business skills together and we were able to take and create something really special. And so how much of the work did you do yourself? I do absolutely none now. So that was something that he quickly taught me that I could not do because as much as I like to be involved and felt like I was being in control, we couldn't grow a business with me doing that, obviously. So right. uh, probably after year one, I really never seen a hammer again. And uh, you know, I just started hiring other people to do it like I should have done in the first place. Right. So when you sold that first house, did you sell it privately or did you sell it through real estate? What was that like? Sold it with a real estate agent who had helped us find it. And we, me and this real estate agent looked for about nine months for a house and could not find one. And then when I hired this coach, the coach changed everything. He told me like, oh, you're doing it all wrong. You're going to the wrong people. And I was looking on the MLS and we were looking at retail stuff. And he showed me how to go privately and buy things from motivated sellers, people who had you know, inherited a house and just didn't want it. It was in really awful condition and they didn't want to fix it up. So they're willing to sell it a little bit of a discount in order to just be able to not pay realtor commissions or do any work to it. And now that's how we got our first deal. Is that what you still do? It is what I still do now. Yes. Yeah. In our city, we have these signs all over. It says, uh, Johnny buys houses, phone number. <laughs> do you yeah. have those in your city? We do. And I used to put a bunch out. I stopped doing it recently just because they weren't working as well as they used to, but I did it for years and it was actually a very effective way of finding flips. Way of communicating. And what's the most, what's the most effective way now, Mike? So right now we're back to the MLS and doing free stuff. That's working really well. And we also send letters out to people who are in probate. People have passed away and have a house they want to sell. And then we also do some pay-per-click, which is uh, you know marketing for the internet. Right. And is that mostly on Facebook? Mostly like on uh, Google. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah somebody types okay. in, how do I sell my house for cash? And then uh, I pop up, I pay some money to pop up and then they give me a call and we talk. 
And so are they mostly single family houses or are they condos or just kind of everything all over the board or what? They seem to be mostly single families is where I've been doing the best. And I think that has a little more to do with the price point being a teeny bit higher. So it's not as easily to get into. A lot of the newer investors like row homes or like you know, little townhouses because they're a little simpler. They don't take as much vision. So it's hard to compete when you're competing against people that are willing to pay too much because they don't know the numbers. So what I've done is I found my niche where like it's just high enough, but not too high that it's dangerous, but high enough that it runs off the beginning investor. And that's where my niche is. Once I figured that out, as I kept doing it for years and years, still doing it. And so do you still have a partner? I do not. He bought my half of the company about three years ago. And uh, I've been on a, a really deep journey since then to really get to know myself, emotional intelligence. So a lot of my greatest work has happened in the last three years since I've been completely on my own and self-sufficient and you know, a lot of traveling and learning and you know, really learning more about myself. Yeah, I, I remember one of the one of the first houses I bought to flip and thought I I I really want to buy a house in this certain street. So I started looking at at houses and there's this one and I thought, oh, it doesn't look bad. So I phoned the real estate agent. I think it was listed. Yeah, it was a take back by the bank. And so it was listed by a real estate agent. And and he says to me on the phone, You don't want to see that. And I said, Why not? And he says, No, 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 you don't you don't want to see that. That's just too rough. So I said, Yeah, I do. So he took me to the place. And uh, it was a one floor kind of century style bungalow. Like it was kind of cool because it had all this hardwood floor. Actually, it was probably more like uh, pine. So it's probably like a softer wood. But anyway, we were looking through and we were in the kitchen and a mouse ran around across the floor right then when we were standing there. And I'm like, well, you don't see that too often, you know, when you're showing the house, a mouse runs across the floor. But it it had a solid basement. It looked like, you know, it had good bones. And yes, it needed a new roof. Yes, it needed siding, insulation, windows. It needed these things. But I thought, this doesn't seem bad. And because it was a take back by the bank, it was like a pretty darn low price. It was listed at $32,000. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to offer them like 26. And I got the house. I didn't get it for 26 because we kind of went back and forth a couple of times, but I ended up uh, just putting it on a credit card. And so I maybe two or three credit cards, you know, cause I didn't have any money to put into it. And, uh, then I, I got it and I, I just thought it was the greatest thing ever. Now, that wasn't my very first flip, but it was a very exciting one that I had. It was so much fun. And, and I talked to you and I know that you would totally understand how, how I was feeling then, right? Totally. I mean, we get paid to bring value to the property. So yeah, you were very, you had a great foresight to be able to know like, okay, it needs some work, but that's what we get paid for. That is how we make money by bringing a lot of value and making the home beautiful again. Yeah. And on your show, The Flip Factor, I know that you talk a lot about confidence because I honestly think that's the thing that holds most people back is because they don't have the confidence or they don't truly believe they can do this. Would you agree with that? Man, it's a great, it's very true. hundred percent agree with it. Yes. And, and myself included for many years, I dreamed of doing this and just never took the first step until I was almost pushed into it. And it was just a, a fortunate chain of events that allowed me to really take action because I wasn't necessarily an action taker. And when I spent 15K on education, I had never spent a dollar before that. So legitimately not even like one penny before. So that was a huge jump and to put it on credit cards and all that, just everything aligned when I finally did that. And it took, it 
took that to have the confidence, like you said, to make that choice. And everyone believes like, well, you know, Mike's taller. Maybe that's why he's good at it. Or maybe he's assertive and you know, maybe he learned some stuff when he was locked up or when he grew up in the hood. I've seen every walk of life do this. A lot of my students are women and uh, like 35, 40% right now. And uh, in all different races, nationality, ages, backgrounds, it really doesn't matter. It's just the, the people that decide they're going to flip houses and the ones that make it are the ones who just choose that I won't let any other outcome happen. I will figure this out and I'll keep doing it until it works. And, uh, and I've had that. I was born with that, re, what I'll call being pigheaded. I was born with that. And it's not always been my best character trait, but it certainly has helped me not fail at flipping because every time I have failed, I've gotten back up, figured it out, put a system together. And over 10 years and you know, almost 1,100 houses, I've been able to really kind of get it down to something that's uh, easy to do now. Well, tell us about one of those fails, one of those times when, you know, it didn't work out the way you wanted, but then you had to, to sort of pull yourself back up afterwards. I mean, so the number one was my fifth house I did. The first four or five went, the first four went really well. We made money and, you know, it felt really easy. And I was like, oh, why haven't I been doing this forever? And then number five, our realtor, uh, who was the one that told us what she thought the property would sell for. And that's how we did business then because we didn't know. We didn't, you know, know the, that part of the market or that part of our job. And she told us the house would sell for 325 And then we, you know, we fixed it up beautifully and we put it on the market and sat and sat and sat. And this market was not that soft. It was actually getting pretty good at this point. So I was starting to be around 2009 and 10 when things were starting to come back a little bit. And mm-hmm. it sat and sat and sat. Eventually, we got down to 250 before we could sell it and ended up taking about a $33,000 loss. And it was a really, Ouch. really big loss. And um, that was the day we decided to always do our own comparables and kind of make our own choices with our money. And we did let that realtor go. Unfortunately, she was a friend and she was the person that found me my first house, but she she was very negligent on that one. She convinced us when the, the math, when we really went and looked at it, none of what she had told us really made sense. And she just got a little over enthusiastic. It wasn't intentional, but it certainly was a major mistake. So we took that part of the job over and you know, we don't do that anymore. We have to we protect our own money because it's a super important piece of this, understanding how to look at the comparables and do all that. And uh, yeah, we almost decided to quit because, you know, losing thirty some thousand bucks was a tough one. A yeah. tough one. And you know, my partner and I were together at that time and we just started partnering up. I think that was our third deal. So it wasn't a great third performance for our deal, but he lucky enough, he had some foresight and decided to stick it out, figure it out, make some adjustments. And we did, and we made that repair and me and him went on to do some cool stuff together. It was a really amazing time. So what are the cool things that people want to see in a house that you've fixed up now? Do they want to see a fireplace? They want to see granite countertops? What kind of stuff do you put in there to really make it so that it catches people's eye? Well, I'll tell you the main thing we focus on with the feedback we've been getting because everyone is usually doing granite and fireplaces and things, kitchens. It's really yeah. been all about layout and like the feng shui of a house, how it flows and the usability of it. So we've been spending a lot of time making sure the houses have master suites. They have what we call great rooms. You walk in, you got that living room, dining room, kitchen, big great room and everything. You know, the islands where they can interact with their guests and uh, and having all that in a first time home buyer price point is where we really strike it. Uh, and put that perfect mixture together because uh, often you see all those things in a million dollar home or an 800,000, but not in a 250K, which is a first time home buyer house in Maryland. So it's a, a very nice one. They can get all those things. Finished basements, they love that. And the master suite. So it really comes down to like this kitchens and master suites are what sell the house. Right, right, right. And yeah, so a lot of houses 
that you might get at a low price to flip might not have an ensuite at first, right? And do you have to kind of build that in or make some changes to get an ensuite there? Yeah, a lot of the deals we get is because I'm able to walk into a home and I'm willing to just really look at the outside envelope of the home and decide mm-hmm. that, okay, well, I can do anything I want within the interior walls. And I, if I see an opportunity to make it into something special that other someone doesn't see, that's usually going to be my competitive advantage because I see something others aren't seeing. And that might greatly increase the value on the back end. So that that really getting into that layout and redesign of the layout is something that's really been my competitive edge um, that I would say that newer people don't often see. So I'm able to see something, see value where most aren't seeing it. Right. Well, it was a little different for me because I I wanted to do it. And so then I got a book and the book was this one. It was called No Money Down. Have you ever heard of that book? Yeah, actually. Was, it, yep, I've heard of that. It's called uh, No Money Down and it's by Robert G. Allen. And so I read this book and I'm like, I I remember I was so scared. Even when I was reading the book, I was thinking, oh, can I really do this? Oh, this probably just applies wherever he lives. But then he would say in the book, you know, this doesn't just apply where I am. This You can apply the same principles. You might have to, you know, do some different stuff, but you can apply the same principles other places. And so, I just kept focusing on the book and reading what he said. And eventually, well, I read another book too. I I read two or three books about it. And then I I just thought, well, I'm just going to jump in. And I still remember how scared I was. (laughs) There's a lot of fear there. When I win a deal right now and somebody else like against other people, I'm, I'm fearful now. I'm like, why did they let me win that? I'm still like, what happened? Did I miss something? But yes, I, I try to always stay humble and focused back the way I felt when I was new, because uh, that, that ability to stay very humble and focused is the key to staying safe these days, because this is a very competitive market and you want to oh, stay yeah. sharp and you don't, you don't continue to work on yourself when you start getting uh, cocky or, you know, thinking, you know, everything you got to very, very much. I've, made a shift about three years ago when I went on my own to realize that this house flipping thing, yeah, I might be considered really good at it and winning a lot of awards and stuff, but um, I really have taken on the position that this is going to be a lifelong journey for me, that I'll continue learning for the rest of my life. And uh, there will be really no getting to the top. It'll just be a constant journey to you know, being good enough at this to make a living and not having to go get a job again, which is my worst fear. Yeah. Yeah. So did you end up then buying other kinds of properties like apartment buildings or commercial properties or anything like that? You know, I've always wanted to. And the reason I've not done that, probably a little bit of fear too. But also I read this book called The One Thing by Gary Keller. And it talked yeah. a lot about become doing your one thing like Michael Phelps, you know, become great at something. And uh, yeah. every time I started to get into commercial or apartment buildings or rentals, I found that my flip business started performing poorly. So I realized I do better when I just decide to be great at one thing. So I've, uh, I've all the time I would have been spending going down these different paths and, you know, doing all these different things that are kind of cool to me and a lot of fun, I decided to actually refocus into just getting a lot better at flipping and really getting a high level of mastery that very few have. And that's been how I've been able to create these results is that it's been all the focus on it. At least I've taken it where... Because you can make a lot of money being in like a level four flipper. You can make hundreds of thousands a year. Most people never even get to level six or seven because it's just not necessary. But I've just kept working. I really want to be at a level 10 one day where I, I have complete understanding of the business and it's not as painful. And one of the things that starts to happen when you get like level seven as a flipper, it stops being stressful. Right, your contractor's not showing up, and all the crazy things we deal with stops being stressful because you you understand it's what is. It's like going into traffic at five o'clock on a rush hour. 
right? It's going to be some traffic. Don't complain about it and just uh, add it into the equation. Yeah. Yeah. I totally get that. Yeah. So if I were listening to this show today and I thought, geez, I've always wanted to do this, but I don't know, how would I do it? Tell me what would you do if I contacted you to get you to help me? What would be the first steps and what would that look like? So the first steps for anytime I work with anyone is that we build out a plan that's based on their personality. One of the things that I found for me personally, working with a lot of coaches over the year and being a student myself is some coaches got a lot better results with me. Uh, and it was the ones who recognized like my certain personality and my very specific way of, uh, I enjoy doing things. And when you build a business plan for flipping houses, there's many ways to do it. That's why there's so many different coaches, so many different people, but there's very few coaches that actually dive into like, what does Bruce really love doing? Because if we can find what you love to do and then figure out how you're going to make money flipping houses doing that, then you're going to be great at it. I wake up every day excited to go to work because I love what I do and everything I don't love, I got other people doing it for me now. It's pretty amazing. So we'd really want to build a plan out that's going to highlight your strengths and you going with the current. And once you get a very clear plan, then you know where to start. And the first thing you always want to work on is getting good at finding the deals and understanding how to evaluate those deals, called dealization, knowing what the houses are going to sell for. You know, that big reason that I lost 30 some thousand bucks. Well, the first thing I teach students now is how not to ever be in that place because we want to protect your money. And it's very important that the first deal you do is set up for success so that you can make money. And if you do, like I was very fortunate to make money on my first one because I didn't totally know what I was doing. But when you make money on your first one, then it gives you that momentum to keep going. Right. So we want to really set that up for success. So everything's geared around like picking the right deal, getting in that right place, that right mindset. Well, I know your website is theflipfactor.net. So Mindful Tribe, if you're listening to this, get yourself over to theflipfactor.net and check check out what Mike is offering there on, on the site. Mike, I think it's just the coolest thing what you're doing. And then you mentioned earlier that in the, the last three years, you've been focusing more on you and, and your mindset. Tell us about that. So I took a training about two and a half years ago, a place called Choice Center, in Las Vegas. Uh, it's emotional intelligence training, kind of an experience. It's, uh, it's about six months long, a very hard leadership program. And we dug into some deep stuff and there was a lot of great exercises that really put a mirror up to you know how I was living my life and where my relationships were. And I realized that I... If someone had asked me, I'd probably be like, oh, my relationships are fine. But when I really had an honest assessment of them, they weren't as good as they needed to be. You know, with the people who really mattered most to me, my family, um, my key people in my business that have been loyal to me and done so much great work for me. And, you know, wives and girlfriends at the time and led to being divorced. All those things weren't happening because I was not being the best partner and best person to be around. I would say I like being right. I think a lot of us do. And found that was breaking rapport when I wanted to be right too often. And, you know, and I wanted to be a perfectionist. I wanted to be in control. And I learned to let loose of all that. And as I started doing that, my flipping business, my income doubled which was amazing. But more importantly, my work hours went from 60 hours a week to 20 hours a week because I started learning to trust other people and allowing them to, you know, I started empowering people and allowing them to learn awesome things and do it themselves, And they could make some mistakes uh, instead of me worrying about controlling and making sure there's never a mistake. That's so it was a big thing. I started really thinking of others first and myself second 
knowing that, you know, there's plenty of time for me and I've spent a lot of years focusing on me and it's time to start giving back in a big way. And sometimes it doesn't always have to be charity, but for me, it was just giving back to the people that have really been very important to me over these years, you know, supporting them and, and loving them. And that really made a big difference. My relationships from my contractors went from like a five to a 10, a key players. Some of them, I realized we didn't have a relationship and we had to move on and separate. And some of them, it was better for them to go do their own thing. And I supported them with that instead of being you know, upset with them for leaving, I was able to say, man, let's help you do that. Let me be like part of you doing something amazing. And that's how I led into coaching. And that was when my coaching started three years ago because my coach asked me like, now that your business is in shape and everything's going amazing, like how will you give back? And uh, I told him I always loved helping other people that way. I've seen people get great results and it changed their lives like it did change my life. And I love watching that and being part of that. So I don't, you know, and so I keep the money piece of it's very small, do charge for it because people have to pay or they won't usually follow through with it. But I make sure it's very reasonably cost so it's accessible to you know, the average person. And, uh, and I still get to flip. I'm actually in the business and my business has been amazing because this environment I've created with my students and everyone else, uh, we're all working towards this common goal of being better people, better house flippers, better business people, better family members. And, and the money naturally comes when that happens. I'm so glad that I've had you on the show because, you know, you you describe it so clearly how mindfulness is a very important part of this. Whereas somebody might think like flipping houses and mindfulness, how is that connected? But there's a complete connection and you've really made that clear. Mike, as we move forward, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. Just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this. Who is one person who influenced mindfulness in your life? So, I mean, Tony Robbins, I know that's probably cheesy, but I love his stuff and I, I'm kind of an addict. <laughs> I listen to it all the yeah. time. Yeah, he's had a powerful effect on me as well, I have to say. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? Uh, and probably the best way it could, happiness has been possible. I don't know if I was ever truly happy before I started to truly like dig into mindfulness. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness. I think being centered and really being thoughtful and getting out of our, our routine where we just sort of run through the world and we just don't even pay attention to others or anything else. Being able to breathe and when I am able to meditate really just gets me grounded and thinking about what's important and relaxed and just a nicer person to be around. And do you recommend any kind of book at all that can help with mindfulness? The book that I love is called Mindset, and uh, it's a really great book as far as uh, it's like growth mindset versus fixed mindset. A lot of us are very much think we need to be perfectionists, and this book talks a lot about just being more of a scientist and just kind of growing and learning, and everything's an experiment. And I love the way that it's really helped me shift uh, my thought process. I read it five times, actually. Wow, five times. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. yeah. And are there any apps you recommend that can help people with their mindfulness? I don't have one right now. I would love to have a recommendation. So I would. I haven't really yeah. looked for one. Well, I'll put these ideas in our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. And like I said, get over to the flipfactor.net. And factor is, I don't know if you're like me, sometimes I misspell words like that, but F-A-C-T-O-R is how you spell factor. So go over to the flipfactor.net and find Mike and he's on the podcast and you're on the podcast with a buddy on there. Uh, tell us about that. You got a partner that you that you share the hosting with. 
So he's on when uh, he's actually works with me and Delante was my intern for a while. And he came, he's one of the best guys I've ever met. He came work for me for free for six months because he so much wanted to learn this business. And uh, he had such a great work ethic that I decided to hire him. And uh, he's been a big part of it. He actually, you know, stays with me now. And uh, he went through that emotional intelligence training with me. And, uh, you know, he just helps me build out my coaching business. So he's a big part of it. And uh, he's also chasing his dreams, which has been an amazing thing. He actually just got a big opportunity. He's about wanted to be an actor. And uh, he, and I was like, well, I'll tell you what, let's do this and figure out how we can give you the freedom to go do your auditions and everything. And he thinks he got a big role with HBO just right now, or Showtime. Or no, HBO, I believe it was. So he's waiting for the paperwork now. It could be, uh, we might be losing him, but for a good reason, obviously. So it'd be for, you know, the, to chase his dreams. And we all know how hard it is to become an actor. So I'm really, really hopeful that that'll work out for him. That's very cool. And is he the one that did the little rap at the beginning of your show? He's not actually. He was someone from Fiber who was really awesome at it that we met. So we paid somebody like a hundred bucks to do it for us. That's cool. Yeah. It's just a cool vibe, the whole show, you know, and it's very easy and relaxed. And yet you teach so much stuff on there about flipping and investing and about confidence and mindset. So it's really awesome. Thank you, Bruce. So, so Mike, it's been great having you on the show. Thank you very much for being here and have a great rest of your day. You too, Bruce. Thank you, guys. Okay. Yeah. Bye now. Hey, do you work in corporate or do you have a team of employees? Here's how you can reduce stress and increase happiness, productivity, and profitability in the workplace. Download this free resource. It's called 10 Simple and Effective Ways to Increase Mindfulness in the Workplace Now. Once your employees are happier, productivity will increase. And you can download this resource for free right here at mindfulnessmode.com forward slash workplace P with the P standing for productivity.